Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. Um, Our reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus has instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So there was a, a little boy that was sick on Palm Sunday. So he didn't get to wave his palms. So he had to stay home with mom. Dad got to go to church. Uh, and he came back and the boy said, why do you have a palm, palm branch, dad? And the dad responded, you see, when, when Jesus came into town, everybody had palm branches honoring him. So they gave us palm branches today. And the kid goes, really, the one Sunday I don't go to church and Jesus shows up? Today is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter where uh, we are celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it's just days before his crucifixion. And this is so important, this entry into Jerusalem, that it's recorded in all four Gospels. They record this just amazing, just wild parade where Jesus boldly enters Jerusalem, even though he knew he was a wanted man. It's kind of a first century Macy's parade, right, that's taking place here. And I love parades. Raise a hand. Who's been in a parade? Got a few of them. Maybe your neighborhood parade, you can walk your dog, pull a wagon, do all that kind of stuff. Well, um, I had an opportunity when I was dating Tara, and so she is from a small town in Ohio. It's Kidron, Ohio, if any of you have heard of it, named after the Kidron Valley in the Bible. And so, anyway, I went down to visit her and meet her family for the first time, and it was exciting, and we're down there, and they say, hey, tomorrow you get to be in the parade. I'm like, we're going to the parade? No, you get to be in the parade. So I'm like, okay, we get to be in the parade. So her her family, I think it was her uncle, owns a, a, the hardware store. So we were going to be representing the hardware store in the parade. So we had our little tool belts. And I can't even remember. We had some little dance going on. And, uh, and then they were handing out the different tools that you got to carry to the parade. And I'm like, I want the hammer. Okay, if I don't get the hammer, give me the saw. If I don't get the saw, maybe a drill would be cool to have. And I'm seeing these being handed out. And I'm, I'm like the new guy, right? They don't even know me. And so, and I, and I thought maybe the chainsaw would be kind of cool. You know, walking through the parade with the chainsaw. Didn't get that either. Do you know what I got for the parade? I was the safety goggles. 
I had one chance at a parade, and I had safety goggles on. I mean, I think it was hazing at that time. So we did the parade, and then it was fun. And, and I can remember Tara's dad had a, one of those big old camcorders on his shoulder, VHS style, recording the whole thing. And then I thought, well, that's cool, just good memories. Well, it's even, they take it a step further. We go home and have lunch, and what do we do? We watch the parade we were just in. <laughs> and so that was my experience in a parade. And uh, so there was the, the hardware store, the, I think something from the airport, and some all different things in it. Different floats. But here on Palm Sunday, we find Jesus and, and coming into Jerusalem. And it's almost like this single float parade, right? And even though it's a single float parade, there is anticipation and there is excitement. And to set the scene, this is all taking place over Passover. And Passover is the time where the Jewish people would gather together to, to celebrate and to remember their exodus uh, um, when the people of Israel were freed from slavery uh, in Egypt. It's when the Red Sea parted and they experienced freedom. And they, so this feast was a huge moment in the Jewish faith. And that, this has taken place uh, when Palm Sunday arrives. Again, there's a huge buzz about Jesus. He had been healing the sick, doing all these miracles. And just before he had come up, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so there was a buzz that was going around like, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one who's going to rescue us and, and overthrow the Roman Empire? Lead us into freedom? And so all of his followers and those who had, had come with them from Jericho, they were cutting palms and they were waving them, just like the kids were this morning. They were worshiping him. And people actually then were taking off their cloaks and, and laying them down. And this uh, decloaking, if you will, was, was an outward display of, of surrender. And usually it was reserved for royalty that they were doing. So in one sense, it was like, here comes Jesus, and they are rolling out the red carpet. As Jesus entered, the people were shouting, as we heard, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna means to save. So literally what they were singing was, here comes the one who is going to save us, the Messiah, the long-awaited king. And so with the chance of Hosanna ringing in Jesus' ears, Jesus could have been very tempted to want to just capitalize off all this excitement and all the accolades that were being thrown at him. The people wanted a physical king, again, to, to overrule the Romans and to bring freedom. But that, however, was not Jesus' plan. And thank goodness it wasn't. You see, Jesus wasn't about people-pleasing. He was about pleasing God, his heavenly Father, who had a much greater and more impactful plan than anybody in that crowd could ever have imagined. Again, the, the, the people there, they wanted him to come in on a stallion, and, and they wanted him to, to look like a king and to act like a king and, and to be a king. Instead, as Jordan read this, our scripture, he came in on a donkey. 
setting the stage for a role that was so different than what they had envisioned. Nonetheless, even the donkey was creating quite a, he was creating quite a stir. In verse 10 we read, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And what's interesting about the, the word stirred is that in the original language, it comes from the same word in which we get seismic. So it literally means quaked. And it's only mentioned three times in scripture. It's mentioned here, it's mentioned at the crucifixion, and it's also mentioned at the resurrection. The arrival of Jesus shook the city. There was celebration, but there was also turmoil that was taking place on his arrival. And yet Jesus knows in those moments, those chants of Hosanna, God save us, that those chants would quickly turn to shouts of crucify him. Just days later. In Luke's gospel, it talks about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and that when this was all taking place, they were kind of went into a frenzy of sorts about what was happening. And then over the next few days, Jesus' followers will experience their hero, their king, quietly surrender and just humbly go before the authorities. He would then be beaten and then crucified. It was nothing like they had envisioned or that they had hoped for. No, Jesus was not at all a people pleaser. He was not caving into anyone's expectations. He set his sights upon why he ultimately came. He never wavered one way or the other, but to do the will of his heavenly father. And there is so much that we can take and and just garner from the scripture But what we are focusing on today is is another toxin that we entertain all too often, I know I do, in my soul, and that is the toxin of people-pleasing. Do you care about what other people think about you? I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I'm guessing that we all do. I I mean, just to be honest with you, um, and there's some of us that that care about what other people think even more than others. But if there was a 12-step group that was uh, obsessed for, with the approval of others, I think I would be in that group saying, hello, my name is Ted Thulin. I'm a recovering people pleaser. Because just to be honest with you all, for as long as I can remember, I've just wanted to be liked. And then God calls me into the profession of being a pastor. And you really want to be liked, Right? And just struggling with that. And I'm not sure where you fall on the scale of being just a little bit of a people pleaser, because we all have a little bit in us, to being a lot. But let me give you four indicators, just in case you're not sure if you really are a people pleaser or not. Let's try these out. The first one is this. Do you worry about what others think of you? Are you just constantly battling that that approval for others? That someone just would call you in church, say hello, 
just to show that you're important, right? That was set up. Basing your worth on other people's opinions is just going to be an ebb and flow. One day I feel really valued. My Facebook and my Instagram just got so many likes. The next day it's like, no one likes me. And it just goes up and down. And people pleasers usually have a low opinion of themselves. They're always looking for others to lift them up. And they forget that God is the one who can establish our true value. Second way you know if you're a people pleaser, that is, do you compromise your values? Joyce, Joyce Myers puts it this way. Instead of telling people the truth about our desires, feelings, and thoughts, we develop a pattern of telling people what we think they want to hear so that we will be accepted. Another indicator that you might be a people pleaser is, do you hesitate when it comes to sharing your faith? You see, being a people pleaser can, in a way, silence the simple truths that we know about Jesus what he has done in our own lives. I don't want to share with someone because I'm fearful maybe what they might think. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to do that. I, well, how, who knows how they might respond? And that desire to fit in keeps us quiet from sharing our faith. Or maybe another, one more indicator here about if you're a people pleaser. Do you have a hard time saying no? We do something because we just feel obligated and you're expected to. And if you say no, there's just going to be a wrath or disappointment or rejection. So you're like, well, it's just easier to keep saying yes. I want to make, you know, make it happy. Now, if, if you've determined, which again, I think we all are at some level, that you're a people pleaser, does that mean pleasing others is always bad? Pleasing those that we love and Uh, regard, I don't think that's wrong. I think we're called to do that to those we love and and those around us. Um, But I believe there are signs where it becomes we're out of balance and we fall into the toxic part of people pleasing. Let me give you four reasons why people pleasing, if you don't already know them, can be so toxic. The first one, it's going to be impossible for you to please people. Some people, ever, right? You're like, I'm just never going to be able to please that person. Or secondly, you downplay your, your passions and your interests for the approval of others. What about people pleasing when it puts us in a position where we're powerless to say no and we're frustrated because we're always saying yes? And then this one really hits. Being absorbed with what others think of you is one of the quickest ways to forget and disregard what God thinks of you. Richard Rohr calls um, our ego, he calls it the small self. He says our small self is so insecure that it must be noticed, liked, and applauded. But our small self, it's not our best self. It's not who God created us to be. 
Since our small self is consumed with itself, it leaves no place, no room for pleasing God. So as followers of Jesus, you and I are called to, in Scripture, to stop seeking the approval of others. And we're called to start living for the approval of God. And if we just take a second here just to do a kind of a little moral inventory to see maybe how this has affected, this people-pleasing might have affected us. Has people-pleasing trapped you into an unhealthy relationship? Or has it put you in a compromising business deal? How about an overly packed schedule because you can't say no to anybody? Your marriage, your family, your kids are all suffering because of it. Are you exhausted from living up to the expectations and the, of others and their standards? So what would it look like for us then to not live for the approval of others, but to live for God's approval? How do we overcome the disease to please? And I wish I came up with that, but I didn't. But it just sounds cool. Say it with me, ready? Disease to please. Just rolls right off. Three things. How do we overcome it? I think one is constantly, not just occasionally, but constantly telling ourselves, I can't please everyone, but I can please God. Daily, we must lay down that, that small self, that ego, at God's altar. Each day, we remind, need to remind ourselves that who we are is not based on what others think of us, but is based on what God thinks of us, who God says that I am. God says that I am a new creation. Read that in 2 Corinthians. The old is gone, the new has come. Through Jesus Christ, God says our sins are forgiven and washed away. In Ephesians, God says that we are his masterpiece. We are his handiwork. In Romans, we're reminded that we are greatly loved by God. And so as I lay down my desires to please people, I start to, we start to experience freedom as we focus on pleasing God. It's not easy. It's really hard. And just like an addict has to stay clean from one day to the next, again, we have to keep our egos in check so that we all can live for the one who matters most. Secondly, how do you overcome the disease to please? We learn to say no. Do you remember Mark says he tries to disappoint people three times a day? Like he's intentional, and I, I was thinking about that. I'm thinking, I don't even have to be intentional. I just do it. So he, he has to work at it. It comes naturally to me. We have to learn to say no to people. How do we overcome the disease to please? Again, we have to be absorbed with what God believes about you. That when you look into the mirror, whether you believe it or not, you are seeing a recreation of God's image. 
God says in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, For I created you, my inmost being. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I praise you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of us. Do you see that when you look in the mirror? Or do you see the blemishes or the things that you wish you would see? Maybe it's more hair, maybe it's less this or whatever it might be. Do you see yourself created by God, a masterpiece? So with God's help, we can seek to to live and to serve and to minister to other people, not for their applause, but for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul makes this goal for our lives out of this verse right here. It's Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know that is true about Paul. He says, if I were pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Friends, again, too many of us are looking towards other people for affirmation and for approval. So you probably wonder when you came in why there was a sticky note. Grab your sticky note. So on this sticky note, and we're going to go through some of these, I'm going to encourage you to, to write something on it all right, about what God believes about you. And then what you're going to do with this note, you're going to put it, it could be on your mirror in your bathroom. If it's in the car, probably not right in the front of the the windshield. It could be at the house. Maybe it's at your office where you're looking out at other people. And the reason I want you to put it at the window is to, to be a reminder, again, of what God believes and thinks of you, even as you're looking beyond it, so you don't get focused on what others are thinking of you. It's hopefully be a reminder for you. So I want to go through just a few of these um, of who God says that you are. The first one is, I am strong. In Philippians 4, 13, it says that, that we have, that through God, Jesus Christ strengthens us. And there's some days, if we're honest, we feel weak. But in Christ, we are strong. And then Ephesians 2.10, we've talked about this before. I am God's masterpiece. How awesome if that's on your sticky note. And that you see that every day. You are God's masterpiece. Next one is, I am enough. Wouldn't that be cool if we really believe that? If we practice that in our lives, that, that you're enough? And in 2 Corinthians, that verse talks about that, that God's grace is sufficient for you. You're with Christ, you are enough. The next one is, I am significant. Paul tells us in that verse in, in Corinthians chapter 5 that we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is someone who is significant. It's someone who brings the good news of Jesus Christ to others. And we all had a wonderful example of an ambassador for Christ in Jody. 
And we're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. And the next one is, I am bold. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not bold. I've missed a lot of opportunities where I could have invited someone to church or I could have told people that I was a Christian. But you know what? I am bold through Christ. Christ will give you that boldness that you need. I love this, this one. I am changed. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The old is gone and the new has come. I am changed. You can put on your, on your sticky note. If you're here today and you're not satisfied with where you are right now in life, in relationship to God, we just want to invite you and to let you know that our God is a God who does change and transform. The scriptures that we have just read has transformed lives for thousands of years. God's power changes our lives. Each one of us can say these words with conviction. I am forgiven. I am accepted. I am bold. I am courageous. I am strong. Whatever it is that God believes about you, again, put that on your sticky note. Put it on the window so you don't believe what others might be thinking about you or maybe they even say to you, but what God does. Friends, God loves you and he loves me unconditionally. As we read today, he journeyed to Jerusalem. Not just to go to Jerusalem and to hear hosannas and all these cheers and that's how much I love you guys. Because when he journeyed, he knew what was in front of him. It was the cross. He came to ultimately die for each one of us so that we could be restored into a right relationship with God. And friends, it all begins with that verse in verse 19 when they ask, who is this? And your response to that question determines everything. And once we are secure in our relationship with God and we, we understand the implications of this relationship, that's when we can begin to seek to grow to please him. Jesus explained to his disciples that loving God is demonstrated by obeying God. And just as Jesus rode through town on a donkey, he did not veer off to people pleasing. His purpose was clear. He came to obey and to please just one, his heavenly father. What about you? Let's pray together.